0: the Client Experience Collaborative podcast. This collaborative combines client-savvy's deep industry knowledge of CX and professional services firms and 16 years of client feedback gathering and analysis, with CX Pilots' two decades of embedding CX into unique business-to-business cultures. This bi-weekly podcast is for firm executives and CX leaders looking for tips, secrets, ideas, and resources from two of the CX industry's most innovative pioneers. To access this community and stay informed, go to clientexperience.com and join the mailing list today. And now, here's our host, Blake Godwin.
1: Hello again, Blake Godwin with Client Savvy here at the Client Experience Collaborative here with my crime fighting, experienced crime fighting based heroes, Stephen Keith and Ryan Sadam. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing today?
2: Good afternoon, Mike. How
1: are you doing? I'm I'm doing fantastic. So, uh, really interesting topics coming in from our listeners. Um, There seems to be a gigantic ramp up in merger and acquisition activity today. I'm hearing from a lot of the associations who are involved with M&A, like ROG, Rusko Bryan and Guido, uh, you know, Zwide Group. PS&J, that there's just a a tremendous ramp in activity. And so I want to start off by asking you both the question, why do you think this is happening now? Um, Ryan, I'd love to to start with you.
2: Yeah, well, you know, uh, the industries have been so busy, so focused on on just trying to get work done and with the influx of workflow coming in i think a lot of firm leaders probably put their their exit plans on hold as they were just trying to focus on on execution and delivery and now all of a sudden with uh, the future uncertain i think it caught a lot of leaders uh perhaps off guard and unprepared and uh, uh many particularly the uh the boomers at retirement age are, are are looking at possibly a long slog through a tough economic time and, and maybe don't want to uh, be there to fight through it. So I think there's a lot of leaders who are uh, all of a sudden looking to get out as quickly as they can before things get as bad as as, as they might. Sure. Certainly, certainly seems like
1: a buyer's market uh, today. Stephen, what, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh um... The, echoing what Ryan said, I, I think if we look at it m- macroeconomically, and, you know, as many owners who are in kind of that boomer class, um, just the numbers are staggering. With the number of, of people divesting, you know, plus what's happening in the economy right now. And um, it, w- we're seeing new levels of opportunism in In a lot of the verticals that we concentrate in, so it's, it's it's very interesting right now
1: yeah, you know those firms and and we've spoken with quite a bit that are are strong with capital. Um, some firms we've even talked to are looking to acquire somebody once a quarter so uh, I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity for those cash strong organizations that are out there, so you know everything we do is experience led uh, the three of us everything that we talk about, everything that we implement. Um, I'd love to hear from the both of you, uh, you know, just in a few short sentences, how would you describe the importance of focusing on client experience and employee experience as a firm who's looking to sell or buy? Uh,
3: so I think that um, w- what we try to counsel our, our clients who are, you know, in the process of considering m is, is, is to pull up the metaphor of the chef, and it seems to be an enduring metaphor, and it seems to work quite well. But if you're if you're going to be if if you're going to start mixing ingredients, you, you certainly want to know, you know what the what the chemistry of those ingredients are. You you're going to want to know what it's going to taste like, and I think the what CX and EX does for those considering any type of M&A activity is to understand, like, what are you about to mix together and what's the impact of that going to be? So, the question that we love to, to, to pose to some of these people is, M&A solves what, for whom? And get, you know, get people to really deeply contemplate the answers to some of those questions. I think that's a good, sort of a good starter for that conversation.
0: I
2: think building on that, Stephen, CX and EX are really focused on value creation and value co-creation. And when you are focusing on creating value for a client, so you can maximize profit, uh, client lifetime value, etc., you're really only looking at a small piece of the puzzle. When you're looking at an M&A type situation, you're aggregating the net value of your employees, of your workforce, of your clients, of the brand, of the partner relationships you've created. And as a seller, you're either trying to maximize the value of all of that, or as a buyer, you're trying to protect the value of that in the long term so that you see a return on your investment. So when you look at the tools of CX and EX, uh, BX, RX, Uh, All the X's are very focused on value creation and value protection over the long term. So those are particularly hopeful tools when you're looking at a major investment or a major change like a merger or acquisition.
1: Yeah. And and building on that, you know, just as one example, when you talk about the value and where does the value actually lay inside of that firm you know, if client experience is based on an individual in your firm, in other words, if a client is with a firm because of an employee, and, and if the experience is not consistent all the way across that firm, and you have more than one of your employees, you have multiple stakeholders in that relationship, what is that firm worth if that employee leads? Is it, is it minus whatever clients those are? I think most would argue that it is, which is why you know employee attrition inside of professional services causes such risk uh, to those who brand loyalty resides with individuals and, and not the organization. So let's let's start here. You know, what should firms be looking to do prior to selling? Let's start with you, Stephen.
3: So if you're if you're a firm and you're on the cusp of selling or you're you're letting the the world know that you're an acquisition target. I think one of the things that you can do today that you probably weren't able to do even a couple years ago is to let people know, you know, let let potential acquiring parties know the kind of the health of your culture and the health of your your capabilities and the and and the way that we've done that for years and years and years is to provide some sort of a tangible concrete baseline that helps, uh, that helps acquiring parties understand what those, what that health index is. And I'm talking about, you know, we, we do lots of EX and CX assessments that basically provide an EKG that helps everyone understand that, you know, across whatever 15 dimensions of of experience-led mastery, that your firm is healthy across all those points. So I think if you're able to provide some kind of tangible evidence of your fitness, I think that's one of the most important and most strategic things that you could do.
1: Thanks. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this: maybe not even experience-related, but but I think tangentially it is. Well, I think with I, I was going to say
3: I think that so I Go ahead, Steve. I think that one of the things that you know this is super timely um just la late last week I had a a call with a client who w- really wanted to know he just kind of wanted to pick our brains on the on the cost of discontinuity and it was a really good question but you know he was he was trying to figure out uh, after a key SVP departure you know how do we solve this problem, and what you know how do we what what are the specific economic impacts of of this departure, and, and how do we mitigate that? And it was at the end of the call, he, he just said, you know, given this this guy's salary and you know his the IP and the client relationships he has, can you tabulate help us tabulate a kind of a financial impact to this departure? And I thought that was a really great question. And there's actually a body of math that goes into trying to help them understand what that, you know, that, that cost impact is.
2: Blake, I think the answer to that question is really dependent on how well leaders have appropriately created secession plans with the internal and external relationships across their client base and across their workforce if critical client relationships and and revenue are dependent on that leader or those leaders staying after acquisition they're gonna find that an increasing share of their payout is is going to be deferred until after they've made that succession successful so leaders that, that would like to be able to pivot and move quickly or, or have the maximum freedom after an acquisition, probably best to go ahead and put strong relationship succession plans in place, both with their workforce and with their key clients.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we all know that formalized CX inside of professional services is, is still a small percentage of firms and those firms, you know, looking to acquire, there's got to be a tremendous amount of benefit making sure that the loyalty you know with that leader who is looking to exit stays while they put some plans in place um so let me shift gears here now we talked about selling ryan what what should firms be looking to do prior to buying
2: i think firms looking to buy need to reevaluate what goes into their due diligence process uh there's so much that is lost in an acquisition that goes beyond the financials. Understanding really what clients think and feel, trade partners, subconsultants, consultants, understanding the engagement of the employees. Those are all really in professional services, the real assets of the organization. Revenue and profit only exist in the context of having engaged clients and engaged employees regardless of what the last three to five years of growth and margin might look like, firms that don't understand the risk of that, that revenue and that profit going forward because of engagement are, are really gonna be a, a disadvantage. The Harvard Business Review uh, studied several mergers and acquisitions and found the number one root cause for failure was organizations not helping clients and employees complete the journey pre and post acquisition so cx professionals all understand the idea of journey mapping and we think about journey mapping in the context of receiving a good or service or interacting with our brand through some series of steps but there's a journey that happens during and after an acquisition and if we don't map that journey carefully and understand where it breaks down and where it can be be flawed you go into it with a whole lot of blind spots. So that's my recommendation to buyers is get the information that you're missing right now, understand the sentiment across the clients, the employees, the partners, and then understand the journey that, that needs to happen to help all of them go from today's state to the future state.
1: Well, that's that's a great, great answer. And, and I, I agree with all of that. You actually answered one of the other questions from our listeners. Uh, And I'd like Stephen to add to this. So we we heard a lot about risk uh, mitigation. We we talked about return on investment or heard about return on investment from Ryan. Stephen, once a firm has been acquired, what are some CX or EX minded ways additional to the ones that Ryan mentioned that will help mitigate any risks of negative outcomes and and also protect that investment
3: post-sale? I think that's a complex question. Um, I've seen numbers as high as like eighty-three percent of of M and A activity not not really fulfilling the the dreams of of either party. And if eighty-three percent of the of that activity is is not working out as well as anticipated, you have to sort of deconstruct. Like, what, where does that come from? Uh, to your question, I I think that you know, once the once the event has taken place, one of the one of the strongest things that, you know, that, that both the both the entities can do is try to harmonize the the cultural aspects of of the of the two entities. You know one of the things that we see which is really it's really damning and it's I mean it's it's a force that needs to be dealt with is a lot of firms you know, they, they try really hard to differentiate. So they, they create these kind of differentiated paths that manifest in their marketing and branding, et cetera. And then when you take these two firms that have strived so hard to differentiate and you, mer- you merge them together, the the culture has tried to live out that essence of differentiation. And then when you mix the two, you have a kind of a, you have a complex situation. So you have two different cultures that don't, you know, they, they understand, they have, you know, goals and objectives and visions and purpose statements and, you know, all this stuff. And when you mix the two together, you have to figure out what's, what's the best harmonizing effect of, of doing that. And so the, you know, to put a finer point on this, you have to, you have to do a significant amount of CX and EX work to figure out how do these, you know, how do the employees, how do the partners, how do the, you know, how do the clients see the, the value in these cultures, and how do you, how do you bring forth the best part of of both entities in a way that's not hyper disruptive or, you know, that that doesn't feel just like lip service. I think to to the earlier point, if you do deconstruct that. 83% of m result in, I wouldn't say a failure, but, you know, cease to live up to the the goals. I think part of it is that um, failure in trying to mix these two cultures. Because we know that in a lot of the MA activity that we see, if you study it out two or three years beyond the event, there's a, there's a, a corresponding spike in employee attrition. And I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why that is.
1: Yeah, lots of great points there. And I think really a lot of those those post-sale things that you just mentioned, and, and a lot of where the failures happen are from not doing that diligence, that appropriate diligence with sentiment and understanding what the cultures are and doing those assessments prior to buying a firm. Seems like if you did all the right things as it, as it pertains to client experience, employee experience, integration of, of cultures and organization, if you just did some of those things preemptively and, and not just looked at the financials, uh, that you could really plan out that journey. You could really plan out how to execute the integration uh, successfully and, and really do some things proactively that I think increase loyalty from that new firm you've purchased rather than reduce it and see a mass exodus of employees. So we've heard a lot of interesting stories about murders and acquisitions that uh, created some really negative outcomes or, or, or failed miserably or, or whatever have you. Um, so what are some of the biggest mistakes the two of you have heard? What are some of the stories that you have to share that it could have been avoided if they had just used a more experience-centric focus? Ryan, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I was going to jump in anyway, because uh, as you were wrapping up that last a statement you were making, a story popped into my mind. I was working with a couple hundred person engineering firm, and they'd been a client for several years. They were uh, very focused on on their client experience, but they very specifically had a culture of being not the big firm. And If you looked at what the clients said, if you looked at the feedback the firm had gathered over the years, it was full of of stories. We love being a a small fish in a small pond instead of a small fish in a very large pond. Uh, We feel like we get this personal attention. And a big national, in fact, a global company, uh, one with many thousands of employees, bought the firm. And sure, all the financials looked good, they were a very successful firm. So on paper, this this behemoth of an organization thought they were buying a great asset, but they missed the sentiment of both the employees and the clients and this culture they had around smaller firm, regional feel, really a community-oriented organization. And about 40% of the employees the day or the same month it was announced of the employees literally walked across the street and opened up a a new office, a new firm and brought about half the business with them. So that was just a blind spot. The acquiring firm had, they did all the due diligence on the numbers, but they didn't understand why the clients were the clients of that firm. They didn't understand why the employees were working there and that blind spot, just not knowing And, And it's not hard to know. I mean, that's, that's, it's really easy stuff to go figure out, but they didn't. And that investment really, really backfired for them. That sounds pretty expensive. That sounds
1: pretty expensive. That is, that's kind of worst case scenario there, right? Steven? Yeah,
2: you talk about expensive, Blake. Uh, we've done analysis here at Client Savvy. And when you look at the stats of employee turnover, client churn, everything else, the average firm that sells for $10 million, is leaving about $5 million on the table because all these risks are are built in and buyers know it and sellers know it. So really an average acquisition, you're leaving about 30 to 50% of your value on the table because you haven't developed a plan for managing these risks.
1: Those listeners uh, who are thinking about selling or who are thinking about buying, please write that statistic down. Uh, it sounds like it's worth the time, worth the investment to figure all this stuff out, uh, or else you're going to be that guy who left five million dollars on the table. So let's make sure that we don't do that, folks. Stephen, uh, what, what kind of what kind of stories do you have, or a story do you have uh, where where mistakes led to some some pretty difficult outcomes to to talk about?
3: Well, I think. Um I think that you know firms on both sides of an m and a event um, have different they, they have you know they have different counsel. they have different goals and different you know ways of uh, of going about this. And one of the things that i that sticks out in my memory is one of our clients saying, um, i guess I guess they were right. Hope isn't a strategy. Um, they were they were they were hoping that things would work out. And um, what, one of the things that we try to counsel our clients on is to, you know, look look at the look at the whole M and A event on a, a time horizon. Try to look at upstream, midstream, and downstream events. So in the in the pre deal analysis, like, are you to Ryan's point earlier, which I thought was phenomenal. Like, are are you looking at journeys? Are you looking at employee? Uh, experience-based journeys. Are you looking at, you know, onboarding journeys? Are you looking at client journeys? You know, by segment. Are you looking at these things and looking at how those different um, journeys or interaction maps are different? And then, are you trying to find ways to orchestrate the, the differences? You know, midstream. Are you looking at the, you know, cultural sinking points? Are you looking at, you know, how do you, how do you resolve? tensions differently and you know how can you harmonize that how are what are the what are the workflows going to be like and then and then downstream like how how are you going to know when the the event is finding the right finding the right objectives like how, how are you how are you going to know that this is working or if elements of it aren't working how are you going to premeditate actions based on certain things that aren't going as planned so that that has to do a lot to do with you know how are you how are you syncing up management styles how are you how are you dealing with internal and external communications you know what's your biz dev and marketing approach how are they different and how can those be harmonized
1: so it, it sounds like the six p's uh are appropriate and resonate here, right? Proper planning prevents piss-poor performance. I think that's kind of the general message there. Can I jump in real
2: quick, Blake? Absolutely. Uh, If we can get it in the uh, show notes page, I've got a one-page matrix that shows the uh, six key phases of a merger acquisition and a swim lane for each of the five key stakeholders. And inside that matrix, there's just a, a brief activity to think about in order to manage what might go wrong or what needs to happen from a CX and EX perspective. So we'll be happy to, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes page. I, I would like to add
3: one thing, Ryan, I think that, you know, I have, I have so much respect for, um, how much, uh, energy and knowledge that you've poured into this. I, you've, you've shown me, uh, a, a a matrix and i don't know if that's what you were just talking about of how like all the different considerations that all the different stakeholders need to take into consideration it's one of the smartest uh things i've ever seen in how to how to do this work of harmonizing the you know the the, the pre-deal analysis of MA and if if that's something that you could also offer, that would be tremendous.
1: we Will do, Steve, yeah. thank you so much. Yes, yeah, that's great. So I'd love to keep this answer short because another, another question just popped in here uh, through the podcast. Um, I've got two more questions I wanna ask you about protecting your investment, uh, but I'd love to hear, I think you guys could probably give a, a short answer to this. So why is mergers and acquisitions so different? in the professional services sector, whether it's AEC or legal, what what makes it so different and and, and so much more risky in the professional services industry than other industries that are out there? Relationships.
2: uh, Yeah, I was gonna take a stab at that too. Uh, Stephen's answer was the short right answer, relationship. Uh, You don't have product. You don't have necessarily intellectual property, not to the same degree a software company or someone like that would have. You don't have real estate. There's no tangible thing. You are trading purely on the relationships that are in the ecosystem, relationships between client and employee, relationships between employee and employer. You throw your trade partners and consultants and contractors in there. And all of it, all the value that's created is the complex interconnection of those relationships and the experiences each of those people has when they are in relationship with you. Without that, there's literally nothing. All right. What you're uh, buying or what you're selling is a complex web of relationships based around a shared experience that, uh, uh, um, that really creates the value.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that
2: answer. I'll, I'll make
1: note also that when I ask for a short answer, we'll let Steven do it. <laughs> thanks. thanks our, uh, I, 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 appreciate I, it. I agree with you 100% yeah. it's relationship
3: driven. Yeah. I think that um, uh, while jokingly providing the most brevity I could, I could possibly think of um, in professional services, the relationship is actually the product. And you're, you know, essentially you're selling something that is invisible. You know, you're, you, you have services, you, you may have done a good job of boxing and, you know, packaging and merchandising your services. When those things hit parity and you can get the same service from, you know, one engineering to the next, or at least the perceived value or difference between, the, you know, that offering is uh, at parity really the only thing you have is a relationship and the you know one of the things that we're doing at CX Pilots is, is doing a ex, you know an extreme deep dive in kind of the physics of competition and one of the things that we're finding is uh while we don't want to acknowledge it one of the things that CX and EX does is it helps us understand you know all of the different Tensions and elements in relationships, and, and competition plays a huge role in that. An example is, you know, there, there are a lot of professional services firms where we're we're doing the work of CX and EX, and we're finding that the pushback that these that these firms have is they don't, they're provincial. You know, people are provincial. They they don't want their their colleagues to meddle in their relationships, and that's a that's a huge huge point and something that you have to realize is that CX and EX done properly inside of these professional services firms can alleviate a lot of those those kind of provincial relationship tensions and you know if you're an acquiring firm or one to be acquired it's it behoves you to do an analysis and an analysis of those types of relationship tensions, both internally and externally, and being really honest with yourself about how you how your firm deals with some of those things.
2: Stephen, I think you've peeled back some really interesting layers there in that you know, moving towards root cause of why do so many mergers or acquisitions struggle, if not fail. And that, that, that provincial sense, uh, do staff feel like they've been turned into a product to be bought and sold? And there's just something that, that, that pricks their ego and feels wrong. Do the clients of the firm feel like they've also been turned into a commodity to be bought and sold? And if you don't have carefully architected CX and EX around it to, again, help those employees, help those clients complete the journey And feel human and feel like they have agency, uh, uh, that's when they tend to leave, is when they feel that they've lost their agency. So I, I think you've just really zeroed in on one of the key, subtle, but very powerful elements that's at the root of a lot of this failure
1: all right thanks for those answers um i, I want to make sure we get to the last two questions from our audience and gentlemen i, I hope you don't mind the order that i give these to you in we'll, we'll let one person answer each question um ryan one of our listeners asked you know if if you're planning to acquire firms as a part of their growth strategy what are a couple of things easy things and hopefully in synchronous order that
2: they can do to
1: get started with with CX and EX to protect their investment?
2: So a couple of things. One, I would look out at the marketplace, what firms are winning awards for client experience and client satisfaction. What words have independently verified third party credentials that they've uh, developed great experiences, either for their clients or their employees. That's free, that can just help you target in on the right firms if you're not already doing CX and EX as a firm acquiring it's going to be awfully difficult to start inside the complexity of an acquisition so begin gathering feedback benchmark your own clients benchmark your own employees at least then you have a baseline that you can compare when you get into the due diligence phase and Then as you approach due diligence, uh, uh, make sure some kind of client sentiment and employee engagement benchmarking is a part of the early phase due diligence. And if you have your own benchmarking of your clients and your employees, and you see what's coming into the potential acquisition target, you'll just have eyes much wider open uh, going in. So easy ways to get started.
1: That's a great, great answer. Thanks for sharing that. And then Stephen... Those who are looking to sell, basically the same question: How can they use CX and EX to get the biggest bang for their buck?
3: So, um, in, in, uh, three or four months ago, having a conversation with someone in this position, exactly. Um, one of the things that someone on our team blurted out, and I thought it was, I thought it was kind of hilarious at the point, but uh, hilarious at the time. But it, it turned out to be kind of an enduring um element of our discussion she said cx and ex is the carfax of the m a activity so and and i asked her to sort of elaborate on that and she said you know if you if you're going to buy a car don't you kind of want to know what all you know what's going on under the hood and you know what are all the, the facts about that thing that you're about to buy. And so it's just a it's a really strong metaphor but you know kind of riffing on what Ryan said I think that the more you know about what you're acquiring the better off the outcome is going to be. And and by what you know uh, what we mean by that is how do people how do people build and you know nurture and sustain relationships? you know between um you know between like the a managing partner and the staff and employees between employees and clients etc what how are they how are they maintaining those best relationships and CXnex and is is uniquely fit to help you understand i mean it really truly is the carfax of of A. so you know through journey mapping through com um comprehensive interaction mapping and stuff, you can see all the points of strength, all the points of vulnerability, you have clear vision into the points of those relationships that need to be re-engineered and, and fix them. And you, know, you, you, you have an artifact or a baseline that you can provide to someone to say, hey, see, you know, we have the strongest relationships, the feedback points to that, we're, we're good to go.
1: Yeah, you know, I and mean, I'll I'll close this out here. I I think all of the the things that you mentioned there really point towards transitioning loyalty from from individuals to the organization. Again, I I can't highlight enough how important that is. If 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 a firm like ours or or yours or or an ROG or a, you know a ZY group. Are out there and they're looking into where the brand loyalty resides, and we find out that it's with the people that are getting ready to leave. Uh, and we're on on the buyer side. I can tell you what we're we're going to get that bottom dollar out out of out of the firm that we're looking to acquire because there's no asset there. There there is there, those financials are not accurate, and and there's a, a tremendous amount of risk there. So I think using that data, that feedback data, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the firm and really being able to transition that loyalty to the organization is, is huge. is huge. And then also use experience as your point of differentiation. Um, I think the both of you will laugh. How many times have you spoke to an audience and, and, you know, there's, there's a hundred people in the crowd and you ask everybody to tell why they're different. And it's, you know, it's always the same. It's our people. We're, we're innovative. It's our tenure. We've been around a hundred years. We're multi or multi-practiced or, you know, it's it's always the same thing, and 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 since you brought up all of these other ways to capture experience led data, let that be your point of differentiation. Show that you're actually different. Show that the loyalty is with your firm as an experience led firm, and and drive towards getting the biggest bang for your buck that way. You uh, you two agree with that as well?
3: Yeah, I I certainly do. And, and Blake, there's a a funny thing. We asked we asked an audience like that. God, remember when there were audiences, um, we, we asked that question and one guy stood up, he raised his hand, he stood up and we, the question was, how, how do you differentiate, you know, how are you currently differentiated? This guy stood up and he said, we we're differentiated by our physical mailing address. I, I had no idea what the guy was talking about and I, getting him to elaborate. He said, the only thing that makes us different than any other engineering firm out there is our physical mailing address. Wow. He's being snarky.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's true. I mean, for, for most cases it's true, but you you have to admit the statistics do not lie. Those firms that have, have formalized X as a strategy, as an operational discipline, where they sit in, in revenue and growth and profitability and, and employee attrition. I mean, it, it's it's staggering how far ahead of the game they are and what it's doing for their business outcomes. Well, we're out of time today. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Please remember to submit your questions to clientexperience.com or to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for being a part of the Client Experience Collaborative and we look forward speaking again in two weeks. Have a great
0: day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Client Experience Collaborative Podcast. Please tell your friends and colleagues to subscribe on their favorite podcast app and visit us at clientexperience.com. Please also send us your feedback and questions for the next episode on our website. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.